Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, showing you the way to becoming a confident teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes feel like events, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 256. I'm recording this on the Friday before Labor Day. Um, it is September 1st. <laughs> so we are, first of all, we are in my birthday month. My birthday is September 29th. My dad's is the day before September 28th, which is always kind of cool. Um, but September is <clears throat> by far my favorite month. It's still a little bit of summer, heading into fall. Um, I mean, truly, I'm, I'm more of a summer person, so September does get a little cool. So I'm really probably more of an August person, but I, do, I love September, plus it has my birthday. So that's always great. So you'll be listening to this on Labor Day, September 4th, or sometime thereafter, 2023. Um, today was a really fun day, the morning, because I promised myself I wasn't going to do any work this morning. And I got in the car and I drove 45 minutes up to the beach in Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is the most beautiful little town. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in a place and just feeling the strong pull to live there. Even if you didn't live there all year round, especially because Newburyport is a kind of a beach town, but it's really more than a town. It's really a city. Um, I don't know if you'd say it's a city. It's probably a town, but it's definitely a beach town because it's right by the beach. And um, every time I go up there, I get that feeling in my gut, like, I need to open a small seasonal yoga studio here and live here from like May, from Memorial Day until Labor Day and just have one class a day and live here and like walk to my friend's coffee shop, Olives, and go running and go to the beach and eat lobster outside. Like I definitely, every time I go up there, I think that. And today I drove up there and um, I definitely, that's going to happen in my life at some point. Um, if you listen to my last episode, I did mention that my boyfriend, Ben, uh, has esophageal cancer. And since my last episode, I'm happy to report that he finished treatment. So Wednesday, the 23rd was his final treatment. Six weeks of treatment done, 33 radiation treatments and one chemo treatment each week, except for the last week they decided not to do the chemo. So this was a really big milestone. Um, we called the front end of his treatment, the killing and the second killing of the cancer cells. And the second phase of his treatment is now the healing. And that's the treatment that he's in, or that's the phase that he's in now. And the healing really involves literally healing, healing the tissues in his throat from the radiation, Hopefully the chemo and the radiation worked and the uh, diseased, damaged tissues 
are are dead. <laughs> um, and so we're really looking forward to follow-up scans over the next several months. But right now he's in the healing phase, which is really great. It was a tough six weeks. And that's why, you know, things like this morning, me driving up to Newburyport is really, I'm trying to sort of cram into this last weekend of the quote unquote summer. Um, some of the things that I haven't been doing because he and I have been very focused on phase one, the killing, <laughs> and it's been, um, it's been intense. So the past couple of days, I've done some different like fun things. Um, and uh, today was really fun. And this weekend, I'm going to do more of that. The other really cool thing that I'm happy to report is that I got tickets to the Taylor Swift eras movie. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Even on TikTok, I mention it. Um, I've been known to sing a little bit in my Instagram stories, which horrifies me in a way, but that's in part why I do it just to challenge myself to put myself out there and not care about what anybody thinks. And also because I love Taylor Swift and the songs, the music, are just great. And um, yesterday she announced a movie of her tour. Uh, they recorded her when she was in LA three weeks ago. And uh, the movie came out and I spent all morning trying to figure out which day I wanted to go. And it was a bit of a hassle to get the tickets because so many people wanted them. But uh, I got a ticket for October 21st and 21 is my lucky number. So that is synergistically in, in sync. And um, I'm really super excited. If you have kids that are into Taylor Swift or you're into Taylor Swift or both, you know that there's going to be a lot around this movie. It's going to be kind of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. People are going to dress up. People are going to sing. It's basically going to be like the concert, except a movie. So since I didn't get concert tickets when she was here in Massachusetts, I'm really excited to go to the movies. And I'm already planning like making the friendship bracelets and what am I going to wear you have to sort of make something to wear because you have to decide what era you are and there's just a lot to it so um you know and again i've mentioned this on past episodes especially recent ones even if you don't like taylor swift or you're not a taylor swift fan if you're a yoga teacher and i'm guessing you are watch her clips from her concert on tiktok i would even say more than instagram watch them on tiktok because she has amazing amazingly confident body language and body movements and projecting. I talked about this last week a lot, and there's a lot as yoga teachers we can learn from Taylor Swift around how to show up for our students and how to really exude confidence. And, you know, the skill piece is separate, um, but just the, the energy of confidence is just over the top with her. And there's a lot there in how she carries herself, how she faces the audience, the languaging she uses, how she builds connection. So that's like a, a little fun exercise you can do. And if you, if you like her, you've probably been watching the videos anyway. And this is just a different lens through which to, to, to watch them. So, you know, here we are, I'm recording this on September 1st. We've got 9-1 energy. 9-1 energy to me is the same as 1-1 energy. It's the other new year of the year. And so if you haven't thought of it that way, I want to offer you an opportunity to think of September 1st as a reset, as a reset, as a chance to set some new goals, 
rejuvenate goals you have where you haven't been making progress, an opportunity to let the past go and to just fucking move forward. We've got September, October, November, December. We have four more months till the end of the year. So your teaching goals, your learning goals, your confidence goals, your financial goals, your entrepreneurship goals, you're building your teaching schedule goals, you're getting your name out there goals, you're building your social media following goals, whatever your goals are, uh, now is the time to, to write them down and to, to find the resources you need to, to get shit done. Because there is 9-1 energy out there the kids don't have a choice. They sort of have to go back to school and be part of 9-1 energy. But us as adults, we can leverage that natural transition back to school to use it uh, to our advantage. And so I really, really encourage you, if you've been uh, enjoying your summer and enjoying downtime, you know, as a teacher, maybe your classes don't have as many students in them, you know, now is the time to ramp up. And, you know, the other thing I'm going to refer to refer you to uh, along these lines is the most recent episode of the Huberman Lab podcast. I've mentioned him before. Andrew Huberman is lit. He is just so fucking good. Um, he's a neuroscientist from Stanford. If you've never listened to his show, it's one of the top rated podcasts uh, out there. And he just did an episode on goal setting. And we're talking neuroscience back techniques for how to reach your goals. And I'm going to mention number one, go, just go listen to it. Uh, number two, I'm going to mention a couple of things that stood out to me. One of the things that, and this is science back. So this is not just, you know, his own opinion. One of the things that I found interesting was he was mentioning how if you write down goals or reminders or affirmations or whatever on a post-it note, which a lot of people do, like a lot of people you see on social media, they're posting things on their bathroom mirror or whatever it is, um, that doesn't actually work because the brain, after seeing something one or two times, doesn't recognize it anymore. It just becomes part of the landscape. And this is not me talking. This is him talking. I'm paraphrasing what he said. Again, this is science, friends. And so um, what he was saying is, don't write something down and expect to use it to change behavior or to keep you on track by hanging it on a post-it note, because your, your mind is not going to see that. So that's not sufficient as a reminder. The other thing that he talked about at length in this episode was the importance of using verbs, meaning verb statements, statements that have verbs in them that reflect what are you going to do? So in my world, um, my work with yoga teachers is, is the main focus is to help yoga teachers feel more confident. And that comes from the skills, uh, improving their skills in cueing, sequencing and understanding anatomy. But I can't just say to people, you know, I'm going to help you be more confident. I have to actualize it. I have to make it actionable, not actualize it. I have to make it actionable. And so what I have come to uh, discover in working with teachers is it's not enough just to work on the mindset piece of feeling more confident. The feeling of confidence comes from the building of the skills, the skills that I just mentioned, learning how to share effective cues that people understand learning how to easily build a sequence, 
and understanding anatomy and understanding how to share it in easy ways that your students will understand. And so when you have those skills, that changes how you feel. So notice that the skill building is what creates the change in feeling. And what Dr. Huberman was saying on the podcast is it's not enough to just have a goal of, let's just say, feeling more confident. You have to identify the actions that are going to get you there. So I will write in a journal every day. I will practice my cueing. I will practice building sequences. Like you notice the um, verbs in those statements. And so that was a big part of the um, episode as well. And then the final thing I'll bring up, and you can listen to all of this yourself on his show, is <laughs> this idea, and there's been a lot of this out there, this idea that you can visualize what you want and that's enough to help you reach the goal. And what he actually said was that what they found in their research is that, or what has been found in the research, is that what actually motivates people more and motivation in neuroscience terms equals dopamine, the uh, neurotransmitter of motivation. What motivates people more is not so much visualizing what you want, the outcome you want, the goal you want, but visualizing the consequences if you don't reach that goal. And so I run into this a lot because when I speak to a yoga teacher and they are interested in enrolling in my program and I talk to them, not so much about the program, but just about what's your dream outcome? Like, what do you really want to do as a yoga teacher? How do you want to feel? What skills do you want to have? And I get a yoga teacher explaining to me, sharing with me, identifying for me what their dream outcome is. I want to feel this way. I want to be able to do these things. I want to be able to have these skills. You would think that continuing to focus your mind on that vision, keeping that vision in mind, visioning yourself teaching in such and such a way that exudes the feeling of confidence would be enough. But what he actually is saying is that What's more motivating for people is to think about what's going to happen if I don't reach this goal. And this is the piece that a lot of yoga teachers miss when I connect with them because they can clearly identify the goal they want, but then they talk themselves out of enrolling in my program and they start to lean into a lot of old mindset uh, beliefs. And they don't often see, and I'm not saying it's the consequence of not enrolling in my program because there are other programs out there. There's not another program like mine, but there are other trainings that teachers can take. So this is not about necessarily enrolling in my program, but I think the piece where a lot of yoga teachers, um, the piece that's missing is, well, if I don't enroll in a program that can help me, um, build the skills that I want, because no one would talk to me if they didn't have a problem. Like teachers are not talking to me every week because they wanna just tell me how great everything is. The only people I'm talking to are people who are having problems. And so if I've ever talked to you on the phone or on a Zoom call, it's because you're having a problem with your teaching right now and that's okay. But the 
problem about having a problem is when you identify that you have a problem and then you decide, I'm just going to work it out myself. Because I've said this before, and I've heard this from one of my business mentors, you can't solve a problem at the level of thinking that created it. Not only is that almost impossible, but it will take you so fucking long, you'll end up spending more money in the time, because your time is money, to fix the problem. And back to the Huberman conversation around neuroscience, think about like, okay, so I have this vision, a kind of teacher I want to be. I know there are problems that I have that are preventing me from doing that. But if I just envision me being that ideal teacher, isn't that enough? No. So let's think about what he's saying. He's saying, think about what happens if you don't meet the goal. Well, then I'm going to, for instance, continue to stay up all night worrying about my classes. I'm going to continue to worry that students are going to get hurt in my classes. I'm going to, and listen to this one, because this is a common one, continue to spend five hours a week prepping for my classes. I'm going to continue to feel anxious when someone asks me to sub because I'm not confident that I want to teach, that I can teach. I'm going to stumble over my cues. Like these are all, what he is saying is that neuroscience shows what's more helpful to motivate you to reach a goal is to think about the consequences of not fixing the problem. And I never want to try to convince somebody to enroll in my program. However, at times I do say to somebody when we get to that point in the conversation, when they are either a yes or a no, and they say to me, I'm a no, and I'll say, okay, so what's your plan B? You know, and then they'll just say, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so I just want you to, um, I just hope you appreciate that. And, and, you know, everybody has agency over what they want to do in their life. But I just want you to be crystal clear that if you just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result, you know what that's the definition of, right? That's the definition of insanity. So my program, someone else's program, buying a book, taking a course, going to an in-person, whatever it is, just do something different. And maybe try this neuroscience-backed method of envisioning the consequences of not fixing the problem. And that may give you the motivation to stay on track. So that's a little bit there around 9-1 energy. Uh, the next thing I want to cover is a mindset piece. And this is something, if she's listening, she's going to recognize uh, this conversation. But I had a, a really good conversation with one of the teachers in my program the other day. And it reminded me of a neuro-linguistic programming, um, not technique, but um, gosh, what could I say? Like a um, principle, principle that I had read about in uh, a, just a landmark book on neuro-linguistic programming called um, NLP, The Essential Handbook. Uh, and it's by the author is Hubar. I, I believe his first name is John. Uh, H-O-O-Y-B-A-R. And neuro-linguistic programming is not neuroscience. It's more the science of language and beliefs. It's not really science. It's more of a framework predicated on neuroscience and language. And it's a really great way um, to understand oneself and understand other people with respect to what they say, how it um, changes their behavior, how it gives you revelations and an insight into their <clears throat> beliefs, 
This can be important in relationships and coaching relationships. There's, there's a lot of ways you can apply NLP, which is the acronym Neuro Linguistic Programming. And one of the really uh, fascinating aspects of NLP is when you think about behaviors that you do, maybe unwanted behaviors, and you want to change the behavior. So you could say something around smoking or dieting or drinking or whatever it is. And so in the NLP framework that Hubar talks about in his book, he talks about if you have a behavior you want to change and you're finding it hard to change that behavior or stick with the program, so to speak, what you need to do is reverse engineer it and look at the situation where you do the unwanted behavior and identify what happened before the behavior, because in that is a trigger that caused you to fall off the wagon. So think of the simple example of you're on a diet, you don't want to eat cookies, you happen to have cookies in the house because maybe your kids like them, and you find one night you are eating a bunch of cookies. And then the next morning you wake up and you feel like shit because you ate all the cookies. But instead of looking at the scenario of, I didn't want to eat sweets, I ate all these cookies, I'm a bad person, and see, I just proved to myself I can't stay on a diet. What the NLP framework is saying is, look, at, look for the trigger. Go back in your mind to what was the precursor to you going to the pantry and getting the box of cookies, because therein lies the trigger right? The catalyst to you falling off track. So when I was speaking to this yoga teacher, she was talking about a lot of the anxious feelings she has around teaching and how teaching for her is really, it's really at a place where she loves it when she's doing it, but the angst she has before she teaches, and even to a certain extent after, but to more importantly, before she teaches is pretty extreme. She's very nervous she gets sub requests and she really questions, do I really want to take on teaching another class? She has just some, just some anxiety around teaching. And so one of the things we were talking about was, well, let's control the things you can control so that we can test if controlling the things you can control allows your anxiety to decrease. Meaning if you control the sequence and control the cues, does that allow you to feel more prepared so that you don't feel as anxious before you teach your class? And she said, you know what? I think that would work. She said, but interestingly enough, I already have a go-to sequence. It's just that I don't always use it. And so this to me was like, ding, ding, ding. And I said, okay, so let's take a scenario where you, you're going to teach a class, you have your go-to sequence, on some level, you know logically that if you stick to the go-to sequence, your anxiety will most likely decrease because you will be in control of what you're going to teach. And it's a sequence that you know well. What would cause you to not stick with your plan? What would cause you to go into the studio and change the sequence or the night before go back to the drawing board and create a whole new sequence? And what she said was really interesting. She said, sometimes I doubt that my sequence is good enough. 
And she went on to say, and this was really interesting to me. She went on to say that she lives in a community that's fairly um, a higher income level and her perception of her class is that it isn't that the students won't feel like they're getting their money's worth. And in fact, I think she said the drop-in rate was like 35 bucks, which is pretty high for a drop-in rate for a class at a yoga studio. And I want you to appreciate how interesting this is because in the conversation and in the NLP technique of going backwards to identifying the causal factor that caused her to change her sequence lies the belief that she has that she doesn't think her class is going to be perceived as quote worth the money they paid and so now for me as a coach as a mentor now I have the heart of the matter laid bare on the table so I said well what would a $35 yoga class look like versus or let's just take that, you know, and that starts to test the belief, right? And this is what we want to do. We want to bring these beliefs that we have as yoga teachers that are holding us back or causing us anxiety and fear. We want to shine the fucking light on them. We want to shine the light on them so that we can dispel them. There's a lot in Gabby Bernstein and Marianne Williamson about bringing, bringing things to, to light from the darkness to the light. And these beliefs that we have as yoga teachers, they're in the fucking dark and we need to shine a light on them. Because when you shine a light on that belief and you say, well, what would a $35 yoga class look like? You realize it would look like what she's teaching. It would look like what any of you are teaching because it's kind of a ludicrous question. We can't look at a yoga class and say, oh, this sequence is worth $35 and this sequence is worth 10. It doesn't work like that. And besides, the perception of every fucking person in the room is going to be different. So maybe if you ask the people when they're leaving class, what do you think that was worth? I don't know. Maybe you'd get different metrics assigned, different numerical values. But at its face, it's not a logical way to, to judge a yoga class. And again, yoga classes are not to be judged on a global level. The perception of each person is their own, which is why I keep saying, why are we asking people for feedback? Stop asking people for feedback. Their feedback is a reflection of their own experience in your class. There is no right or wrong. There is no checklist. Please hear me on this. Stop asking people, did you like the class? Just toss it. Don't ask it because it's just going to give you grief. It's going to put them in a situation where now they need to be your coach. Like, just forget about it. Just let it stand on its own. Relieve yourself of the need to ask the question because recognize that the feedback you get is completely colored by the person's perspective. And let them have their perspective, whatever it is. And you can have your own. But the bottom line is, when you go into class, prepared to teach your sequence and, your, and you have your cues down, you are just there to do that. 
You're not there to do that and be like, did you like it? Did you like it? Did you like it? That's not what you're there to do. That no one has that expectation of you, except maybe you. And this is the fucking heart of the matter for so many teachers is that they have this perception that it is within their realm of responsibility to make sure everybody likes it. Everybody can do it. Everybody's having fun. No, you're going in as the teacher and you have a plan and you're going to do it and you're going to let it stand on its own. And I promise you, when you teach from that, you are going to drop about a hundred thousand pounds of psychic weight. And you're going to be able to go in and teach your damn class and go home and live your life. And that's, that, that's what I mean when I talk about Taylor Swift and she just walks around the stage and she's just like, bam, bam, bam. And she's just unapologetic. Like unapologetic is a great fucking word for this conversation. I want you to teach unapologetically, like honestly, and I'm actually writing that down because it's such a good word. Like no excuses. You're not there to make any excuses for how you're teaching. Your teaching stands on its own. Okay. And this is something you can um, embody if you've been teaching a week or you've been teaching a thousand weeks. It's it, it will shift as you get more experience, of course, but you can still embody this. Like you're not there to be someone's court jester. This is not, oh, sire, is this working for you? Should I juggle more balls? Like I remember one time this woman came to my class and before she walked in the studio, she said, can we do a bunch of core today? And I was like, no, we can't. Like, this is not choose your own adventure. I'm coming with a plan and this is what we're doing. And by the way, FYI, you can make every pose a core pose because I'm not going to get into the anatomy, but right. So, I mean, this is not court jester time. So I, I'm going to wrap this part of the conversation up, but I really, I really want to just mark this as, you know, conceptually, this is why mindset is such a huge part of being a yoga teacher and having a healthy mindset and busting through a lot of the bullshit that's out there that people believe, that people hear, that is sort of unwittingly passed on from teacher to teacher because not a lot of teachers, if any, talk about stuff like I do. And that's why so many teachers are running around with all these perceptions is because there aren't a lot of teachers like me that speak about mindset like I do. And so as a result, they walk, teachers walk around with a bunch of these perceptions. You know, it's like I went, when I was in my friend's coffee shop today, two of the girls behind the counter, I think maybe she told them that I was a yoga teacher, or maybe they saw when I commented on one of her posts, maybe they looked at my page because they knew who I was. And uh, the one girl said, oh, right, you're the yoga teacher. Um, maybe she saw a comment anyway. And uh, she said, where do you teach? And that's a really common question I get, I get because, you know, most people, when they hear I am a yoga teacher, their next question is, oh, great. Where do you teach? And so that to me is always a funny question because since COVID, I don't teach anywhere. You know, I taught for 15 years in many, many studios 
And, uh, and when the studio shut down for COVID, the studios I taught for shut down completely and my business ramped up in terms of my program. So I went all in on that and I don't teach public classes anymore. I did 15 years of walking all over Boston and I'm not doing it anymore. And I teach occasionally online. Maybe you've been to my online classes and I occasionally do a private, I occasionally do a special event, but I am all in on supporting yoga teachers through my program and supporting yoga teachers through all the free content that I share that is focused on this mindset stuff, as well as the anatomy, the skill building, the confidence building, because I am so hellbent on being a game changer, um, on being a thought leader in the industry and getting more teachers connected with me so that they can hear these different ways of looking at things so they can um, hear a lot of the components of my teaching method, the momentum magic method, and hear more about my intentional sequencing uh, framework, my connecting cues model, my anatomy action words, my using why words. Like these are all the four types of cues. These are all specific to how I work with teachers and my goal is to get as many teachers out there teaching free of all this mindset stuff so that they can walk into the room, teach the class easy peasy, enjoy connecting with their students, feeling empowered, feeling like they're making a difference and go home and live their life instead of going home and hemming and hawing over what they did and having anxiety before and anxiety during and anxiety after going in and just banging out the class because people need yoga. And they need good yoga and teachers want to feel good when they teach. And so that is why I love that after 15 years of running all over the place, teaching classes, I am fully ensconced in my real mission, which is supporting teachers in this way. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is in the anatomy realm. And this also came up in a conversation I had in a momentum call with one of the teachers in my program. And it had to do with, you know, she's in the process of watching uh, some of the videos in the program and we're doing coaching calls. And she was talking about the idea of she's watched the, um, the videos in my program that break down the muscles individually and talk about each muscle with respect to origin and insertion and action, concentric action. And, um, and now she's moving on to the next part, which is muscles in poses. And so we were talking about her interest in sharing anatomy-based cues. And it got us into this discussion that I wanted to share with you today, because this is something that I want you to think about sequentially, chronologically. And I've talked about this when I've done my workshop on the three steps to confident teaching. If you've been to one of those, you've, you've heard this from me and you've seen me kind of map this out using the yoga mat. So think about sequentially, you've got at the end of the sequence, you've got the cue you share. And so many yoga teachers are out there sharing cues that are anatomy-based cues, but they don't understand the anatomy behind it. So how do you understand the anatomy behind the cue? So if you think about the chronological sequence and the end game being the sharing of the cue with the anatomy in it, like engage your quadriceps as you flex your foot and press back through your heel, 
or draw the belly button in to engage the rectus abdominis and lift the front edge of your pelvis. Like these are anatomy-based cues. Roll the inner eyes of the elbows forward to externally rotate the shoulders in downward dog. Like these are anatomy-based cues. But the saying of the cue is the end game. That's the end of the line. If you had a continuum, that's the end of the continuum. You need to be able to walk backwards from the what you say backwards to what you know. And there are discrete parts of that sequence. So if the end game is the cue, the step before it is the muscles in action in the pose. And the step before that is the muscles in isolation and understanding where they are and what they do. And then the step before that are the joint actions. So for instance, if you look at downward dog, so envision downward dog in your mind right now, and you have the cue, roll the inner eyes, the elbows forward. That's the end game. That's the end of the line. Chronologically, that's the thing you're saying. But now you have to walk backwards and you have to say, okay, well, if roll the inner eyes, the elbows forward is the cue. The step before that is the muscles in action. Infraspinatus teres minor. The step before that is what are the infraspinatus and teres minor? They are external rotators of the shoulder on the posterior shoulder capsule. They connect the humerus to the scapula. And then the step before that, which is the first step, is what is the joint action that the cue is speaking to in downward facing dog? And that joint action is external rotation. So I want you to see that is working a cue backwards, reverse engineering it, and you need to be able to do that if you share an anatomy-based cue, because if you can't do that, you shouldn't use the cue because it means you don't understand the why behind the cue. And I promise you, if you share cues that you don't understand the why behind, you will not feel confident. And more importantly, you can't support your students. You can't change up the cue in the moment. You can't answer a question about the cue. So this is one of those consequence things that I was talking about before when I talked about the Huberman Lab podcast. This is the consequence. The consequence of using cues you don't understand is you feel you don't feel very confident and you can't answer a question. You can't support your students because you can't change up the cue in the heat of the moment because you don't understand the why behind it. So bottom line, don't share anatomy-based cues if you don't understand anatomy. Use action cues. In my framework of cueing, action, alignment, and that, I'm sorry, action, alignment, anatomy, and feeling based. Those are the four types of cues in my connecting cues framework. Use action cues, use alignment cues, use feeling cues, save the anatomy based cues until you learn anatomy. So that's that piece. And then the last thing I wanted to share just really quickly was I had two amazing conversations with teachers in my program this week about business. And when I say business, I mean, this one teacher in particular is starting a class next week in her community. And she has two or three people who are signed up for this class. And it's a weekly class uh, at a local place, uh, but not a yoga studio. So it's 100% on her to market it, to build the class. And then the other teacher I was speaking to in the program, she is moving to a place, she like lives in one place and then another place, depending on the time of the year, like a winter, summer thing. And she's moving back to her fall, winter place and she wants to drum up some business. And so in both situations, we brainstormed different ideas to build up their classes. And I, I want to share this with you because number one, yoga teachers hardly 
ever have someone they can do this with. The, the brainstorming that I did with these teachers, you just don't get when you're out there on your own. Like your yoga studio owner that you teach in a yoga studio, they're not going to sit down with you and brainstorm ideas with you to help you build your own stuff. You're going to have to build your own stuff. <laughs> but if you don't know how to build your own stuff, how do you know what to do? Right. And I want you to hear this as well. There's a marketing term. I don't know if you've ever heard this. It's called guerrilla marketing. And guerrilla marketing is an old, old term that refers to boots on the ground stuff you do to build up business. So, you know, when you're walking down a city street and somebody's standing there handing out flyers for the local ice cream shop, that's guerrilla marketing. You know, when you go to your car and there's something slipped under the windshield about the salon up the street, that's guerrilla marketing. There's a lot of different ways that fall under the auspices of guerrilla marketing. And as an independent yoga teacher, when you are doing your own thing outside a studio and you want to drum up the word of mouth, people to show up on yoga mats, guerrilla marketing is the way. Now, of course, we have social media, but it takes so much longer to build traction on social media and find the right people, especially if you're doing something locally in your community. You need to use guerrilla marketing to find those people. So I just want to let you know that if you're out there right now and you are dying to build up online classes or build up things in your community, branch away from the studios, set your own rates. There are so many good reasons to do your own thing in addition to teaching in studios. But do not think for one second that the only thing available to you is to teach in studios. Do not think that. There are so many creative opportunities available to you, but you can't do it alone. You need a mentor like me to help you brainstorm business ideas. Otherwise, you will absolutely spin your wheels. I have almost 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur, and I can leverage that experience to help you do what you want to do faster and easier and better. So I wanted to share that with you in large part, not to market me, but to open your mind to opportunity, to open your mind to opportunity. Because if you want to teach more, if you want to teach in different places, if you want to make an impact in your community, if you want to branch out from the perceived safety, big air quotes around that, of teaching for studios, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. So I am here to tell you in the last minute of this podcast, you can do it and use my help. Don't use my help. Just know that you can. And I'm here to say, as I wrap up this conversation with you, that this is definitely an option and how great to be doing your own thing in your own way, making your own money, setting your own rates, touching lives in your community, impacting lives in your community, helping people understand functional movement, improving people's health. Oh my God. So great. So with that, I'm going to end this episode and I want to end it with an opportunity for you. I recently had a teacher that I talked to and she came to me from the podcast and I had forgotten this because I was looking back at some of my notes and I was like, how did I meet this person? And by meet, I mean meet uh, in, a, in a phone call. And I remembered that I had done a podcast episode where I ended it with an opportunity for you to set up a momentum call with me for us to connect on a phone call, or if you live overseas on Zoom. 
and for us to talk about building momentum. Like, what do you need to build momentum as a teacher? And this was how I had connected with this teacher. And I was just thinking of her the other day and it reminded me and I thought, you know, when I record the next episode, I want to give you an opportunity to connect with me on the phone so that I can help you build momentum in whatever area you need momentum. So this is just a free opportunity to, to connect with me and to kind of do a little brainstorming. Maybe it's around some of the things we've talked about here. So if you want to set up what I'm calling, what I call uh, a momentum call, send me a DM, say you heard the opportunity on this episode and you want to set up a momentum call with me and we'll set it up. So with that, I'm wrapping it up. Thank you so much for staying with me till the end. Thanks for being a listener. And I can't wait to chat with you again on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thanks again. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And the fact that you're still here and still listening is not lost on me. So thank you so much. Couple of things. If you have any questions, please contact me. Send me what your questions are directly to my Instagram DM. You can find me there at Bare Bones Yoga. The next thing I hear so much from yoga teachers that they want to be confident. They want to feel more confident. They don't want to have that nervous feeling in their stomach when they get up to teach. They don't want to stumble over their words. They want to create sequences fast and not spend so much time writing out their sequences and practicing their sequences. And they so much want to just walk around the room rather than being tied to the mat and practicing the entire sequence with their class. If any of this hits home for you and you want to develop into a more confident, authentic teacher in the next 30 days. I want you to DM me confident teacher heard it on the podcast, and I will show you exactly how you can get there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.